Welcome to Get Right for Sunday, a podcast designed to help you prepare for Sunday and beyond. I am Pastor Wright, and each week I have a conversation exploring the Bible readings for this upcoming Sunday. Join us as we discuss how the lessons are applied to our daily life in Christ. Welcome to Get Right for Sunday. I am Pastor Wright, and I'm here with Vicar Hill. And today we're going to look at the readings for the 16th Sunday after Pentecost. If you would like to listen to these readings, they were dropped on a previous reading podcast the day before. So we have some interesting stuff happening, specifically in the gospel lesson. It is St. John chapter 12, verses 20 through 31. And we have Jesus interacting with some people. Uh, Verse 20 just simply says, Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. I'd like to state here that this isn't some random thing, like there were some Greeks walking around and said, ooh, this looks interesting, maybe we should join. Uh, The commentator that I read said that they're God-fearers. And what that means is they had an actual pretty good understanding of Jewish traditions, relationships, uh, rituals, and they actually believed in the promise of the coming Messiah, and they joined in. And it wasn't that they were spectators. They didn't see this as a neat thing. Now, with that, they also didn't fully commit to being a Jew and being a Hebrew. Circumcision seemed to be a a sticky sticking point. point. We'll go this far, but nope. And so... They're God-fears. That's why they're still called Greeks. That's why they're still outside of all the circles. And it's interesting because they show up while Jesus is here. And this is the big point. And this makes a lot of sense when you think of the larger context here. Mm -hmm. We're coming right off Jesus' triumphal entry uh, into Jerusalem. So there would be people gathered uh, not just for his entry, but right. for Passover. That's yeah. the feast they're talking about. So the fact that these Greeks were there kind of shows that they came for a Jewish holiday, a Jewish feast, the Passover. So that shows you that they do have some level of commitment here, yes. but they haven't perhaps bought in all the way. Right. And and obviously there's something, like you mentioned, might be getting in the way of that. Yeah. Um, but that kind of sets the scene for... Um, who these Greeks are, why they're there, perhaps. Right. So they're they're definitely there to participate. They have a knowledge of what's happening. And I like the idea of why it's happening. But then verse 21, So these Greeks, these men, came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. I love how Philip responds. He runs to Andrew. (laughs) And then Andrew and Philip go to Jesus with these Greeks. And I, I, I think it's it's bigger than, hey, we want to look at the guy that's talking. It, it's the, the sea it is more than a visual thing. They want to question Jesus. Mm-hmm. They want to ask him questions. I, I read one commentary that said that they almost wanted to interview him. And again, it's to ask questions, what are you doing? Why are you doing? What is this? What does this mean? We're looking for the Messiah. Yeah. We've got a few questions. We, we had an opening for it. And um, so the C is not just, oh, we want to see the guy in charge. This is a bigger statement. And I appreciate that Philip doesn't say, oh, 
I can answer it, but goes to Andrew, and then they take these men, these Greek, to Jesus. And I'm pretty sure there's some conversation. Hey, Jesus, these guys, they, they, they want to talk to you. They're, they're Greeks, and they're here for the Passover. They're participating. They, they want to talk to you. And I love what Jesus does. So you got these guys. We have no idea how many people there are. But in my mind's eye, I see him looking at them and then turns sideways. Doesn't turn his back on them, just turns sideways. And then he addresses the crowd. He doesn't even acknowledge their existence. He doesn't talk to them. He doesn't say, so what do you want to know? He just lays out what and who he is. And this is verse 23. And Jesus answered them. And this them is everybody. It's mm-hmm. not just the Greeks. It's everybody. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. For if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. This is a really odd statement to make when people say, hey, I would like to meet you. Hold on. I have something to say. My hour has come. The Son of Man must be glorified. Which in itself is a huge statement because how many times in the Gospels do we hear Jesus say or refer to this idea that his hour has not yet come? Right. So early in his ministry, I mean, I'm thinking of the wedding at Cana. Yeah, don't tell anybody. And his his hour had not yet come. He even says that to Mary. Yeah. Right? So um, it's this idea that his ministry, uh, it has a beginning, Mm -hmm. but there's also an end. Yeah, and we get to see all that stuff in between, and through throughout that, he's constantly saying, "My hour has not yet come; it's not yet time; it's not ready yet." And now we finally get his hour has come. So a pretty big transition there in what his ministry is and what it's about to take on. So let me push you on this one a little bit. Why is it in the Greeks show up and Jesus says, "Up, oh, my ministry's over." Why with the Greeks? Any idea why these guys? So, and we kind of got into this last week, I think, with the Syrophoenician woman Mm -hmm. uh, with the possessed daughter. Because who did Jesus really come for, first and foremost? The people of Israel. Yeah, the house of Israel, the children of Israel. Those were God's people, Mm -hmm. um, and they've been given promises all the way back to Genesis 3.15. These are God's people, and the promises are for them— But now we're seeing that promise extended. So like we saw last week with the Syrophoenician woman, a Gentile in her own right, she gets the crumbs Mm. of that promise if we're carrying this. Uh, And here we have these Greeks show up and they want to see Jesus. And like you were talking about, they want to see him because they have this beginning working of faith and they're trying to figure all this out. But now it seems pretty clear, uh, I think, to Jesus that the word about him has gotten out, and it's extended beyond just Israel, and now it's into the Gentiles as well, the Greeks. They're looking to him as the Messiah. I think you hit the nail on the head, and it's really interesting because they show up to participate in worship. Mm 
mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the Passover. I'm curious if they sacrificed. I, I don't know. But then to make that connection to worship and to go to Jesus and, and your statement, not only the end of Jesus' ministry, but the idea that he, as the Messiah, the promise, his teachings have extended past just Israel. Mm-hmm. These people want to know who are you in a good and appropriate way, not not some philosophical uh, situation. His mission is complete in a very technical sense. Mm-hmm. He has come for the redemption of the world. He is now known. And uh, to make this statement, I'm very curious about his tone, seeing the Greeks and their question, and now his ministry is coming to an end. Jesus doesn't have a great retirement party planned. He doesn't have his IRA set yeah. up. Yeah. <laughs> so the end of Jesus' ministry is the crucifixion. Mm-hmm. And we'll get into this just a little bit. But to make this statement, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Well, that sounds great. Yay, let's glorify Jesus. And then he has this parable, the, 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 this analogy. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls in the earth and dies, Jesus is equating himself to this seed. And he's talking about death. It remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. So this is um, from 24, uh, tw- yeah, 23 to 26. This is actually read at the committal service. And I'm not sure how many caskets I've stood next to and read this. And we always attach it to the context of the situation. There is the deceased, and we make the statement from the words of Jesus. Unless the seed dies, it remains alone. But if it uh, goes into the ground, dies, it bears much fruit. Mm -hmm. And when we were talking about this apparently two days ago, this connotation came to fruition. What is this deceased person? What fruits are coming from this person being buried in the ground? And just a peek behind the curtain here, I was making the case as we were discussing this that um, I'm not convinced that this little saying from Jesus is about us when we die. Because like you're getting at here, when we die and go in the grave and are put into the earth, that that's kind of it for us. We're as, done as far as what we do. Yeah. Um, and there's really nothing that comes from that. Right. Now you could say at the funeral service at the committal, mm-hmm. you being put into the ground could be, uh, you know, a witness to those at the committal. They get to Absolutely. hear the word of God, and that's all fine and well. But as for you in that casket. That's kind of the end of that chapter. There's really nothing more to be done until the resurrection of all things. Um, So I'm just not convinced that us going into the ground bears any fruit. And I think really what Jesus is doing here is just talking about himself. I, I totally agree. And this is one of the things that I think we do by nature. We look at any parable that Jesus gives and we make it about us. And we do the same thing with his baptism oh, yeah. a lot of times. Yeah, absolutely. It's all about us. Look what we did. Look what, um, how we did it. Or how does this relate to me? Right. What, what does this say about me? Exactly, yeah. And sometimes things Jesus did or said 
mm-hmm. are just about Jesus. Yes. And we have to acknowledge that we're not Jesus. <laughs> yeah. There's a little difference there. And, and the only thing, not the only thing, one of the things that I would add to that is the benefit of Jesus' death and the fact that we're connected to that death. His death does give us and does bear us fruit. It's the fruit of what comes next. Mm-hmm. Because Jesus lives, we have life too. And so it is very appropriate to read this text at the casket, at the committal, with the understanding that because Jesus also went to the grave and came out, this is not the end. Even though we're actively being dead and actively doing nothing in our death, it's only Christ and he's the one that the the fruit that is born out of his death is the fact that we too will have resurrection. And I really appreciated that that you brought that up because, again, I don't know how many times I've said that, and it's, oh yeah, it's talking about the resurrection. That's good, but that's just a surface thing. And then it was, okay, he we buried that person. Let's comfort the bereaved. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of comfort to be in here. And again, the reason I bring this up, Jesus is making the statement, I'm going to die. People have come to talk to him. He says, hey, guys, welcome to the party. I'm going to die. But he tells them why, too. And then the other part of uh, what Jesus says, if anyone uh, serves me, he must follow me. Whoever loves his life loses it. That really is about us, and that's Mm -hmm. about faith, and that's about what we're supposed to do. And it puts it in context. If we're in Christ, we know what's going to happen. And we look forward to what is promised, not what's here. We understand that this is all transitory. This all will come to an end. We can't just stop here. We have the promise of so much more. So question for you. Yeah. Does that mean we have to hate this life and hate this world? I mean, Jesus says here, whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So we just abandon Everything of this life? Well, um, today in Bible class, the day of our recording, I promised that we were going to have uh, a new compound in Wyoming. We're (laughs) going to call it Wrightsville. And it'll be paradise on earth because we hate the world and we hate everything in it. Um, No, the the idea is that that this hate is the idea that we're not to put trust in this world. We're not Mm -hmm. to put trust in the, the physical things. Uh, do we love this world? No. Does that mean we actually hate it? No. It's it, more of a matter of priorities, right? right? Uh, um, and I think uh, what first came to mind when I saw this, verse 25 and 26, was the rich young ruler. Oh, yeah. Um, because yeah. we see him come to Jesus, and Jesus says, well, there's only one thing you have to do. Just one. Just one. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And that was a step too far. And so there we have someone who did not hate this life, but wanted to keep this life in this world. And we see that ultimately the consequences of that are losing eternal life. Because where are you putting your trust? Where are you putting your hope in the things of this world? And then we get this shift. Now, Vicar and I have been arguing over this for a day and a half now. Jesus, again, still speaking— Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but the purpose I have come for this hour. I'm sorry, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And as we were discussing this text, 
I, uh, I said, verse 27 seems like a great example of Jesus' full humanity on display with his full divinity. And you didn't really like that statement at first. Yes. And if you could see me, I, I crossed my arms defensively. <laughs> Very displeased. Yes. I like the idea that Jesus, boldly in his divinity, laughs at the faith, face of death. Now is my soul troubled? What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. The, the resolute, the, the strength, the power, the might of the divine God in Christ, laughing at what is to come because he knows that he is going to vanquish sin, death, and hell. And I thought, well, pastor, that's a good idea. That's a great idea. But, but we have to remember that Jesus is still man. Yes. And so I kind of pushed back and thought, well, if I'm man and God, the man part of me is going to be a little terrified of what's about to come. So we have the human side of mm -hmm. Jesus about to be put to death, and we have the divinity of Jesus knowing what he's there to do, what his right. ministry is all about. It ends on the cross with crucifixion. And I think this now is my soul troubled, genuine concern. That's how I take it. Okay, so I'm going to stop here. Read it with genuine concern. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Say, so what, what am I supposed to say about that? I should... I really, really appreciate this. Um, and with this, I don't want to pit the divinity against the humanity. And I know you don't want to pit the humanity against the divinity. We're not splitting Christ. And I really appreciate what you just brought to bear. The statement, now is my soul troubled. He's walking into death. I don't know many people who say, oh, it's time to die and joyfully, gleefully go into this. Mm -hmm. I know people, and I have been with people, who have welcomed death with fear and trepidation, but with boldness. The idea that Jesus shows forth his humanity, and this isn't that the, the divinity takes a uh, back seat to this. It is God-man. Mm -hmm. And I think the divinity aspect of this comes into play where you see Jesus understanding he's about to be put to death mm -hmm. and what that means, but then still obeying the Father's will. Because if he was fully man, I think you just, you hike up your sleeves and run away because well, yeah. you understand what's coming. Right. So this idea that he he understands he's going to be put to death, mm -hmm. but he still submits to the Father's will. Well, in its perfect submission, uh, it's everything that he's always done. And he makes a statement, this is why I've come. Mm -hmm. This is my mission, and I will complete it. And I think when you pair this verse with uh, a few days later in the Garden of Gethsemane, I'm glad I'm not the, the garden, only one messing up words. When you have Jesus in the garden and he's fervently praying right. and asking to be delivered from this. If this is your will, let this cup pass. If not, I'm going to do your will, Father. And that's exactly what he does. But it's that um, 
that acceptance of the will, that perfect obedience that really is otherworldly. I mean, oh, that's yeah. stuff stuff yeah. that we can't do. No, and I, I absolutely agree. And as I said, I appreciate that you bringing forth the humanity because I, I want the, the mighty Savior, the conquering God to, to vanquish death. But that's a God of my imagination. <laughs> so we have Jesus here. His soul's troubled, mm-hmm. but he's accepting what's before him. Yes. And we get, uh, jumping ahead, uh, then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Um, so we have Jesus being uh, accepted by the Father, kind of reminiscent of his baptism. Mm-hmm. And it's not for his own benefit, but for the crowd. Well, so with this, the, the statement of, of 27, uh, he makes this, this is a public statement, and I don't think he's shouting this, um, and it's not that he's whispering it. People hear this, and God the Father confirms it. Mm-hmm. And it's making this statement, yes, this is what's going to happen. This is why it's going to happen. And I will make sure. This doesn't mean that Jesus is a puppet and he's going against his will. This is perfect obedience and submission. And this is what he does. And when, in verse 28, Father, glorify your name. Then the voice came from heaven. I will glorify it and I'll glorify it again. This is God the Father saying, I have sent you do this work. And it's not the the commanding, you will do it and you'll like it. This is perfect union. Mm -hmm. And and if we're looking at how we started this text with the Greeks, the Gentiles coming kind of in search for the Mm -hmm. Savior, ultimately we have God not just giving a little, um, uh, you called it vindication here, acceptance of Jesus as the Messiah, but then also Jesus fully vindicated in his resurrection. Mm-hmm. Once and for all, this is the Messiah put to death and then raised. And that serves as the vindication that everything he said, all those signs and wonders he did mm-hmm. were not from his own power or volition, but he was sent by the Father. And being raised from the dead is that final vindication of who he said he was. Mm-hmm. That's who he really is. Right. And it's right there in what God the Father says. I have glorified it, and I glorify it again. And those are such loaded words. And of course, when God speaks, of course, it always is loaded. The crowd stood there and heard it and said, it had thunders. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. And I love the fact that the crowds always have to explain miracles. It didn't really happen that way. This is what it really was. Sad thing is, we do this today, or continue to do this. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the rule of this world be cast out. And I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. I think this is a double meaning. Not only lifted up, and that's, of course, the, the cross, and draw people towards him. But the whole idea, I also think it's uh, his ascension mm-hmm. when he ascends. Yeah, I like that. Because what do we do? We're drawn to what has happened. And because he has ascended and the Holy Spirit has come, the helper has come, we are drawn to these promises. We are drawn to the fact that God the Father has glorified Jesus' name, the name that every knee will bow to and we'll glorify it again. And uh, I, I like the idea that that's a continuation. That's not, up. Oh, you're home, Jesus. 
I'm going to stop working. But it's the whole continuation of the glory of Christ, which is heard in sermons, Bible studies, and the life of the church. Thank you for listening to Get Right for Sunday. I know that your time is valuable, and of all the things that you could have watched or listened to, you have chosen to deepen your biblical understanding with Get Right for Sunday. Would you take a moment to give a five-star rating of this podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform? This actually helps others to be able to find Get Right for Sunday. Again, thank you for your time, your prayers, and support.